You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. If you have a Bible, uh, would you grab it and turn to Luke chapter 8? Luke chapter 8, we're going to cover three verses, three verses that are often overlooked. Uh, but these verses uh, give us an opportunity to talk about something that the remainder of the New Testament uh, unpacks more fully. And these three verses are uh, fairly difficult for uh, where we are in our culture, where we are in America, uh, just because of the way we think about uh, the nuclear family specifically. And that's what these verses are talking about. But the book of Luke has been great because what happens in the life of Jesus is he introduces a concept that gets further played out in the rest of the New Testament. So for instance, Jesus looks at a group of people and says, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then later you see the apostle Paul say um, <clears throat> that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So Paul is saying, I, I'm going to lay my life into that same vein of crucified uh, life picture that, that then gets unpacked for the rest of the scripture. So another place is <clears throat> where John says that through the law, we got the law through Moses, but we got grace through Jesus. And then Paul spends the remainder of the New Testament teaching about the grace of God. <clears throat> Jesus calls God his father. I'm struggling here. Can you tell? Jesus calls God his father, and you see that become the predominant terminology about who God is for the remainder of the New Testament, that God is a father. Can somebody bring me water? I didn't think it would be that bad, but it turns out it's terrible. This will be great for the video. <clears throat> cool. All right, so then something happens in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus talks about how we should regard the family. And from that, you get the remainder of the New Testament, calling the church the family of God, calling us members of one body. This family terminology goes throughout the rest of the Bible. But listen, nothing is more sensitive than the family. Like, even though you grew up not liking your brother and sister, you could make fun of your brother and sister, but no one else could make fun of your brother or sister because that would make you so mad you wanted to fight. And I remember growing up, like, there, there was times where you would have, like, these cut-down wars where you would talk trash about someone else and they would talk bad about you, but, like, the ultimate slam that was, like, too far was the yo mama jokes. You remember the yo mama jokes? Like, it'd be like, oh, man, you're ugly. Oh, man, you're short. Oh, man, you have a bad haircut. Oh, man, you have a bruise on your face. Oh, man, your mom's fat. And you're like, whoa, too far. Like your mama jokes were just over the line because something in us internally values the family, is sensitive to the family, and it creates a lot of insecurities when we talk about this because that's kind of the one thing no one should mess with. And so what you see in Luke chapter 8 is Jesus talking about a redefinition of the family as it relates to the kingdom. So here we go. Luke chapter 8 verse 19 says this, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But Jesus answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So this almost sounds rude. And just to show you, this isn't isolated. Uh, Matthew chapter 12 records the same story. And it says like this, it says, addressing the people while his mother and brothers stood outside, Jesus said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So Jesus 
if, if you just read this quickly, he could almost sound like he's being rude to his mom or he's being rude to his family. Like they don't matter to me. So let me really quickly clarify what Jesus is saying here. And then what the remainder of the New Testament is teaching about this principle. So right away, let me say this. Jesus is not saying that biological families are no longer important. He's not saying that. Uh, not for a moment is Jesus being callous towards his family, or is he suggesting that should be our posture towards our family? In John chapter 19, you get one of the most touching pictures in the whole New Testament and all of the Gospels where Jesus is on the cross. Like he's, he's on the cross. And, and one of his final words from the cross, he looks down at his mom, his distressed, broken mom. And he looks at his disciple, John, and he says, John, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. And you have Jesus laying down his life for the sins of the world, even in that moment, mindful to take care of his mom. Like you want to talk about what a guy like takes care of his mom while he's saving the world. Like, don't worry, mom, John's going to take care of you now. Hey, John, you better look out for my mom. I know I'm saving the world, but John, don't blow this. Take care of my mom. Like, it's a big deal. Jesus loves his family. So that's not what's happening here. But here's what is happening. Jesus is saying his followers have such an intimate relationship with him that we are as deeply related to him as his family is. What Jesus is saying here is we are so connected to him as his followers that it might as well be family. See, a lot of leaders in that time period, they were really into their own family. They wanted to have a dynasty, a legacy from their lineage. They wanted to rule for a long time. And Jesus says, I'm the kind of ruler that's not interested in a dynasty. I'm not interested in a legacy of my own with my family. The ultimate focus of my ministry uh, is not to be uh, about my tribe or my clan or my family. It's to call into being a permanent family that lasts for eternity, made up of all kinds of different People, So that, that's what he is saying. And then the last thing he's saying is Jesus is saying blood ties are, are less significant than the bond of faith. So here's what's important. He's not demoting his family in terms of how he relates to them. He is simply elevating above the family the way faith bonds the church together. So in other words, our relationship to Jesus must be above any natural relationship we have. That's what's happening in this text, that our relationship with Jesus must be above any natural relationship we have. Now, what happens in people in this moment, when you hear that, people with a bad family background appreciate it and love it and go, yes, I love the church because my family's broken. Uh, man, when I was 17 years old, my parents divorced. My senior year of high school, people from our church knew that was going on in our family, and they brought to us on Thanksgiving Day they brought to us like this laundry basket filled with turkey and dressing and ham and yams. They even put marshmallows in there. Like these were the church, the good church people, right? Put marshmallows in there. And they like made this whole thing. They left it on our doorstep with a note, knocked on the door and left and just said, hey, we know there's some hard stuff going on. Your family we wanted to provide Thanksgiving dinner for you. Like that was the story of the little church I grew up in. The church I grew up in never had more than 100 people in it. I went there from age 12 to age 18, never had more than 100 people in it. But that church taught me how to pray, taught me how to share the gospel. We love that church. My little brother is currently the youth pastor in that church. Like we were connected deeply. So a lot of guys my age have had a time where they hated the church. I have never had that time. I love the church because it meant family to me. 
And so for those who have difficult family backgrounds, they usually love the church. People that have a great family background can sometimes see the church as competition into their family thing. And they're like, I'll go to church, but don't ask much of me because I kind of have some stuff going on that's really good in my family and we're pretty busy and we have it going on well. And they misunderstand the, the integration that's supposed to happen between the nuclear family and the church family. But then lastly, sometimes we forget as Americans that, that in other countries, when you become a believer, it, it actually ostracizes you from your family. That there are places in the world that to follow after Jesus means to leave your family. That's the kind of cost it takes to come out of a different world religion into following Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if that's what it takes, that's okay, because a relationship with me supersedes all other things. And so this is what it looks like uh, in this passage for Jesus to say, my relationship to you is more important than anything else. And so because that's true, then that leads us to some other teaching in the New Testament that, that provides a framework of who we're supposed to be as the church. And it's pretty simple. So here we go. The first thing to, to understand uh, when you talk about the family of God as the church is this, that we are, as the church, a spiritual family with our identity purchased by Jesus. That's what you see taught in the remainder of the New Testament, that we're a spiritual family with our identity purchased by Jesus. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, uh, Luke says this. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, being Jesus, bought with his own blood. Did you catch that? Take care of the church because the church was bought purchased by, by the death of Christ, by the blood of Christ. And so in order to be brought into God's family, God, his son, had to die so that we could be called sons. In other words, your entrance was free into the family. To you, it was free, but it was not free to Jesus. Now, this is where uh, we use the word gospel a lot in our church and really in Christianity. You hear this word gospel. Here's, here's what this word gospel means and what it creates. The word gospel means that people can't just come into the church free as if this whole thing uh, doesn't have any sort of cost to it because there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue between us and God and that issue is called sin. And God is so holy, he can't just give sin a pass. So God has a problem. He can't just give sin a pass because he's holy, but he loves us so much that he can't leave us alone in our sins. So because God is holy, he can't give sin a pass. Because God loves us, he can't leave us alone in our sin. And so God is so holy, he can't overlook sin. And God is so loving, he can't leave you to deal with your sin alone. Therefore, the only thing a holy God could do, who was so loving and so willing, he had to come and pay the penalty himself. And so God comes into the world, loves us enough to pay the penalty of sin so that we can be entered into the family. And so this, this blood-bought identity, this is key, the blood-bought identity is now the identity that supersedes all identities. In a culture that is demanding to see themselves as identified as this race or this nationality or this personality or, or this gender or this, like so many competing identities, what Jesus comes to do is say, I offer the identity that supersedes all identities. And I have purchased that for you and then freely given it to you. So now nothing can compete with the identity that I have given. Therefore, we all stand before God on equal playing ground, all with the same honorable rank before God. And so the, the Catholic Church had a major problem with this years and years ago. My grandma to this day, to this day, 
still thinks that she should ask Mary, the mother of Jesus, to pray for her. Because my grandmother thinks, and we've talked about this so many times, my grandmother thinks that if she can get Mary to pray for her, then Jesus would listen to the prayer because nobody has the ear of their son more than the mother. And so she thinks, if I can just get married, I have, I'm not worthy to go to Jesus on my own. If I could just get married to ask Jesus for me, then the likelihood of my prayer being answered is much higher because Mary is much higher than I am. And, and this is the misunderstanding of, of the teaching of that, the, that piece of teaching in the Catholic Church, that Mary is of no higher rank. Luke chapter 8 says this, who is my mother? Those who are obedient to God, not my actual mother. In other words, the prayer of Mary, the prayer of Peter, the prayer of Paul, the prayer of Luke, all of them. This is the Protestant Reformation 101, that no one's prayers are worth any more than anyone else's. This is the Gospel 101, that Mary's prayer is of no greater worth than your prayer if you're praying in faith and if you're praying understanding that you have been paid for and you have been purchased. This is a significant thing. That this identity supersedes all identity. No one's prayer is worth any more than anyone else's. Jesus would take it even further. Let the little kids come to me and pray. If you don't have faith like them, then your faith doesn't make sense. So it's not about who has a higher rank. Everyone has the same honorable rank because Jesus offers us an identity that supersedes all identities. So because that's true, then these two things are possible. If we really have this spiritual family, marked by the purchasing of Christ in our lives, offering us an identity, then two things happen. Number one, we are a spiritual family marked by transformation. Marked by transformation. What happens in the church is supposed to be a transformative experience. We are marked by healing growth. Healing growth. So in other words, in the church, because of who our father is and because our identity has been purchased by Christ, it is supposed to be easy here to be weak. It is supposed to be easy here to not hide. It is supposed to be easy here to share where you're struggling because we have a father who created a family that, that, is, that is a confessing oriented family, a family that has nothing to hide. If you think about the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world, uh, the Bible says they were naked and unashamed. In other words, there was nothing to hide. There was no fear, and they didn't have to control what people see. But this is significant. When sin entered the world, the first thing Adam and Eve did is they started to cover themselves to control what people see. That is the same exact thing all of us are doing on social media to this day. Your Instagram account is intended for you to hide things and control what people see. It is always the highlights of your life, never the issues of your life. If someone has an Instagram account where all they do is show you issues, you unfollow that person because you ain't trying to hear all that. You're like, man, come on, quit showing me that. I want to see your pretty photos where you hide all your messy stuff. And so the sin that entered into the world was the sin of hiding, the sin of pride, the sin of saying, I want to show other people the best stuff about me, but not the hard things about me. And so the fig leaves came to cover the scary stuff. And we've, we've been operating with fig leaves ever since. But what Jesus has come to create in a family is a family that doesn't have pretense and a family that is under grace. The difficulty with religion is religion doesn't allow you to be a sinner. 
Religion doesn't allow you to share and confess. Religion tells you you have to work hard. You have to be fine. You have to do good. You have to uh, basically work your way into righteousness. That's what religion tells you. But the grace that God offers and the grace that created this family says that you've been liberated from all that. And now you can be free to who you be honest and free about who you really are. So in other words, this church is a place and the spiritual family has empathy for who you really are. In other words, we know who you really are. And, and not only is God approachable, this makes all of us approachable too. Uh, Tim Keller has a great quote uh, on this understanding of what it means to, to have empathy for those around you and their weaknesses. He says this, he says, a counselor can diagnose you as a sick man, but only the brother under the cross can fully understand who I am, not as a sick man, but as a sinner. This is a place where you should never be shocked by someone's sin because you know your own heart and you know your own brokenness and you know how sinful you are. And not only should you see empathy in this place, you should also see that the spiritual family can get you where you need to go. So this should be a place where you know the sins of those around you and you're able to help them. There's this uh, story in Greek mythology about Odysseus and the sirens. And the sirens were uh, th these musical creatures that would create music and all the sailors had to go to where the sirens call came from. And it would ultimately lead them to wrecking their ship uh, and, and end up killing all of their crew. And so Odysseus knew this was coming. If you know Greek mythology, he told his crew to put beeswax in their ear and to tie him to the mast of the boat. And so they were going to go through this area. And when the sirens called, he made sure that everyone knew, do not untie me. No matter what I say, no matter how mad I get, do not untie me. And when, sure enough, when they got close to the sirens, the sirens started calling them away. And Odysseus started yelling, untie me, untie me. I'm going to throw all of you overboard, untie me, untie me. But instead, they just tied him tighter and tighter to the mast until ultimately they got away from the sirens and, and they saved the entire crew. And so what that picture is, is a picture of saying, I know my weaknesses. Are there places where as a spiritual family, we can tie each other to the mast and say, will you help me in this? When this temptation comes calling, do you know me enough to help me get away from this thing? Because that's the only way we're going to find ourselves being transformed. And that's what God has invited us to be, a transformed people. Uh, in, in the Corinthian church, they were struggling with sexual immorality. And the way Paul tells them to combat sexual immorality is he doesn't say, go out there and try harder or go out there and uh, get internet accountability or don't walk by the, the, the houses that offer prostitutes. He doesn't say any of that. The way Paul tells them to combat sexual immorality is he says, don't you know you were bought with a price? Therefore, honor God with your body. So this understanding of being purchased is the way by which transformation can happen in your life. An identity as a purchased person allows you to have a transformation in your life. So not only are you transformed, so we've been purchased by Christ to enter into the family. And this family is marked by transformation, a group of people that have been transformed. And the second thing is not only have we been transformed, we are now a spiritual family alive with purpose, a spiritual family alive with purpose. So listen, the identity Jesus offers us in the gospel makes us a people that are fully alive. We should never be questioning, never empty. We should always have this instinct in us that says we were created to change the world. There should always be this internal feeling inside of us that says, by God's grace, I have a purpose. I know what I've been given to do, and I should be doing that. But if we're honest, 
And this is actually a beautiful setting to talk about this with, with kids everywhere. Um, this, this, is, this is so helpful to the picture of what Jesus is talking about. If we're honest, in our quiet place, we believe, because God gave us this belief, that we were designed for a purpose. The number one best-selling hardback book, nonfiction book in the world ever is called The Purpose Driven Life. 30 million copies sold, nonfiction. Everyone inside of them knows they've instinctually been created with purpose. The problem is kids, right? No, that's a joke. Too soon? Um, the problem is you knew that about you. Maybe it was in high school. Maybe it was in college. You, you were on fire for the Lord. Do people even say that anymore? Is that just a 90s thing? You were on fire for God. Everything was awesome. It was awesome because you were on fire. And you believed that God had given you something to change the world. But then you started dating someone. Then you guys got married. Then you guys had kids. Then you guys had a mortgage. Then you guys had insurance. Then you guys got cars, multiple cars. Then you got garages. Then you got storage units. Then you got all this stuff in your life, none of which are bad. None of which are bad. But what happened inside of that is something along the lines started to get you to believe that now your focus should be on securely maintaining these relationships instead of walking in your God-given purpose. That's a significant change that, that so often we don't understand. Because what usually happens is when people date and then they get married, they spend the majority of their time and energy nurturing and protecting their family relationships and the security that surrounds that instead of leading and integrating their family into the purpose of God that they were created for. And so you move into a gated community and you drive into your garage and you get out and you live your life and you get back in your car, drive out of your garage to your job and then you come home and you do it over and over and over and over and over again. And then one day you wake up in your 50s and go, what happened to me? And this is the midlife crisis moment. Maybe it's earlier for you. Maybe it's late. I don't know where you land on that, where you think midlife is. But there's something about this that goes, man, what was I created for and am I doing it? So here, this is the hard part. The marriage and family and kids and mortgages, they, they can't help but bring your priorities into question. And it's a real temptation to start focusing on those instead of focusing on God's purpose. So listen, your purpose doesn't end when you get married and God's mission doesn't leave out married people. But this is so hard. Uh, we, you know, in the church, it used to be hard to talk about uh, money and sex. Those used to be the hard things for the church to talk about. But it seems like we talk more in general in Christianity. There's more books written about sex. There's more books written about money. Dave Ramsey has a whole show on money. And so it feels like money is a little more easily talked about. And it feels like sex is a little more easily talked about. But the hardest thing in the church to talk about now is the idolatry of the nuclear family. Nobody talks about that. Because you know it is super hard it is super hard to look at another man and for me to tell him, hey, you, you actually might be worshiping your children. That is a hard thing to tell someone, by the way, that never goes well the first round, ever. Or, or to look at a guy and to say, hey, you might be valuing your wife's approval of you more than God's approval of you. Good luck having that conversation. Or, or, or for a lady in the church to look at her husband and go, hey, uh, husband, I love you, and you're killing it in leading our family in activities, 
but I was hoping maybe you could lead our family spiritually. That is a really hard conversation for ladies to have with one another. Or or to, to look around your home and look in your life and go, hey, it feels like all of our resources and all of our time and all of our energy are being used on us. Maybe there's something that we could spend this on in the church or in the broader family of God that doesn't just benefit us, but it benefits others. That's an awkward conversation to have. Because most of us, if we're not... If we're not careful, we start to see our house as our thing and our fortress from the big bad world. The world's bad, so when I come home and I shut the door, I'm finally in my safe place with my family and my needs and my stuff is all around me and my habits and my TV and my food and my life. And, and, and your, your home becomes a fortress from the world instead of a missionary outpost where you operate in your neighborhood as a missionary leader. And the home, in the, especially in the American church, has become a place of retreat instead of a place of advance. And so oftentimes, we, we, don't, we can't have people over because our house isn't perfect. We had two staff members over this week, and I've been cleaning out our attic. It was the messiest thing you've ever seen. And honestly, there was something inside of me that goes, hey, I want to cover this up. And I started thinking about the Garden of Eden and the fig leaves and just going, my house has to be perfect if people come over. And so something inside of us is constantly saying, I have an image to portray, and this is hard for me. So here's some questions, because I'm not asking you to live in imbalance. I'm not saying you should sacrifice your nuclear family for the church family. But I'm saying there has to be integration, and there has to be balance, or the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 8 haven't landed on our lives. And Jesus' words should always make us uncomfortable. It's how it works. But they're always for your joy. Do you know this? Every time we talk about money, it's for your joy. Every time we talk about God's design for sex, it's for your joy. Every time we talk about God's design for the family, it's always for your joy. It's never so that you would be hurt. It's so that you would be helped. And so here's a couple of questions uh, to, to help you ask yourself the question, am I leading my family to worship God or am I worshiping my family instead of God? Those are the two things. God's goal is for us to lead our families to worship him not lead our families to worship themselves. So there's, there's a couple signs of imbalance. A sign of imbalance might be that we seldom host others in our home. We don't like to invite others into our home because it's messy and it's chaotic and our kids, and so we seldom host others. The second thing is we seldom reach out to others. We, we rarely go to other people in our church and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, or hey, can we get lunch, or hey, can we hang out, or hey, when the kids go down, can we go uh, get an adult beverage and talk? Like, can, can we go do these kind of things? Uh, we seldom reach out to others. That might be a sign of imbalance. Uh, we seldom serve the church because we find ourselves uh, preoccupied with what we have going on. And so it's kind of hard for us to come and be a part of the setup team, or it's kind of hard for us to host a village, or hard for us to cook for a village, or hard for us to participate in the summer movie series or sports camp or whatever. The, the myriad of things the church is doing, instead of our church is doing, it's always the church. It's always the third person resonate. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like resonate doesn't care for others. And you're like, there's no one called resonate. You have a village leader who's supposed to care for you. Resonate has a lot of activities. There's no such thing as Resonate. It's our family has some activities that's going on. So we seldom participate in serving the church. We seldom have time or flexibility. We find ourselves busy. 
and we rarely have any uh, space in our schedules or our time to participate in anything that's going on. And lastly, we seldom sacrifice. So if you were to ask yourself these questions over lunch today and say, how are we doing on this? Are we operating in balance or are we operating in imbalance? This is why Village is so significant. This is why becoming an owner of our church is so significant because this shows us who's in the family and how we can help each other to, to live the life God's called us to live. So listen, our, our kids, they need to see the purpose of God alive in us. They need to see our lives marked by confession and marked by transformation. They need to see our houses as places of missionary advance, not places of comfortable retreat. They need to see that. They need to have people over at your house eating dinner. My kids might be on the far side of this. We're like, if no one comes over for dinner, my daughter's mad at us. Like, no one's coming over tonight. It's just you guys. Ugh lame. Like she's to a place where she wants to see people come over and we may be on the other side of the balance and we have to course correct the other way. But, but I submit to you, this is a better life for your kids to see because when they get older and they get in high school and they get to college, if they didn't see this life, then Christianity and the faith that Christ offers never became their own. And so they see it as just an event you went to once a week. And when they get to college, they say, I would not like that event. I would choose not to do the event. But if they see this as an integrated part of your life, then they're going to go into college and into high school as an integrated person who desires this and seeks this out and sees it as their joy. And so this is what we can offer people. So what I'm inviting us to do as a church is pretty simple. Let's reject an isolated, individualized Christian faith that values your biological family over the family of God. Reject that. This isn't individualized. This isn't isolated. But that's the temptation we should reject. Receive your identity as a purchased family member, marked by transformation and alive with purpose. Receive that. That Jesus came to create a new family. He has purchased us into this new family. And this new family allows for transformed lives and allows for purpose, but it's integrated. It's all around us. The biological family and the church family integrated one within the other. Not, not as a comfortable retreat in our homes, but as a missionary outpost in our homes. That's the purpose of God. And the way that we can respond is by asking ourselves really simple questions. When it comes to transformation, are you using the gift of your spiritual family to help you grow? Are you leveraging the gifts of the church to help you grow into who God's called you to be? Or do you feel like, no, I'll just do it by myself. I don't want to burden others. I don't want to deal with others. You're not a burden to your family. Your family wants to help you. Are you leveraging the gifts in your family to help you be who God's called you to be? And then secondly, when it comes to your purpose, is your biological family helping or hindering your purpose in your spiritual family? Honestly, ask yourself those questions. And then see what would happen if you got together with, uh, with your family and you started to ask yourself, God, would you give us a vision for our family? God, what would it look like to host people? God, what would it look like to reach out to others? God, what would it look like to get more integrated? What would it look like to serve as a family? You start to ask God, God, would you give me a vision for my biological family to be integrated into your Christian church family in such a way that would, would just blow up my life with purpose, blow up my life with transformation, so that all across our family, we would see our kids grow up in the faith, always loving Jesus. I joked that I want my daughter to have the most boring testimony in the world. 
You guys know the good testimonies like, I was doing drugs, I was in jail and out of jail, and then one day I woke up in the ditch, and there was a Bible next to my face in the ditch, and I opened the Bible and I became a Christian, and I've been clean ever since. You're like, whoa, what a story. Those do exist, and God can do that, by the way. It's amazing. I know a guy who that happened to. But I want my daughter to have the most boring story. Like, man, I grew up in the church. Uh, I went to church every Sunday. They had a village at our house. There's people all around me. I started loving Jesus when I was young, and I just found him to be the most fascinating, joy, life-giving person ever, and I just still love him. Like, that's the story we want for your kids, and that's the story we want for your grandkids, and that story is only possible when you integrate your biological family into the family of God. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage, is an integration of the family. So ask yourself, God, would you give us a vision for our family that integrates? And God, would you allow me to have those hard conversations when it comes to a sensitive topic like my family? Would you allow me to talk through that so that I can lead them to greater joy? Greater joy. That's ultimately what we're after. And if we can do this, then by God's grace, we would show our cities what it looks like to be a family. And God's design to change the world is through families. But families that live on mission and live being transformed. So I want to pray that we'd be those kind of families in our church and ultimately in the city so that we would see the gospel advance through our lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the gift of children, for the gift of family, for the gift uh, of chaos. God, I know that a lot of us uh, are going to go home today to, to messy houses, to chaotic schedules, to, to lots of anxiety for what's coming next. And we have travel plans and Christmas and all these things that are going on. Uh, God, I pray that in the midst of all that, we don't miss the fact that you have called us to live transformed, purpose-filled lives that involve us leading our biological families into the family of God. So Lord, help us in this. Help us recognize you've purchased us and redeemed us and given us an identity that supersedes all identities. And because that is true of us, God, it should look different in our families. And I pray that none of us feel like this is uh, pressured or begrudging, God, but, but, but this feels joyful to all of us. So Lord, help us walk in this. Help us be who you've called us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting resonate.net.